Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Are we good? Are we all awake? Yes, good. All right, well, my name is Brooke Maxwell. And my husband and I are the youth pastors here, and I also get the uh, privilege of running the women's ministry as well. And so if I haven't met you, that's, that's who I am. Um, we have been at this church serving now for just about seven years, which is crazy to think that uh, we are seven years in. Um, and we have loved almost every <laughs> minute of it. Um, but we have been married 10 years, coming up in a couple weeks, which is crazy. And we have three kids. So if you see them running around looking like who is in charge of these kids, they're just used to being here all the time. So they run around this place very comfortably. Those would be our children. Um, but we have three kids, like I mentioned. Our oldest is Lou, and he is nine. Then we have our daughter, Rachel, and she is seven. And then we have our little Tommy, and Tommy is two and a half, and he is a lot of fun. He's got golden curly hair, and he's just the cutest thing, uh, of course, which I have to say as his mom, but I will say he's pretty darn cute. Uh, but he's kind of a wild child also. He loves to play sports, loves to uh, play with his little hockey stick, loves to try and golf, do all the things, and uh, he just gets into everything. Um, if you live in Charleswood, which is a neighborhood here in Farmington, and you see me running outside in my pajamas looking frantic, it's just because Tommy is also an escape artist <laughs> and knows how to leave our house. And so um, don't worry if you see me. Actually, maybe I'll give you my phone number and you could just call me and let me know <laughs> if you see him. Um, but then Tommy, he also colors on everything. He has colored on our bed sheets. He has colored on our furniture. He has colored on many walls. He has colored on the carpet. He has colored all over his body. He's tried to color over all anyone else's body. Um, and he's colored on really important documents. This past January, my husband and our oldest Lou were getting ready to go on a mission trip that was going to take place in March. And in January, it had dawned on me, probably get, should get a passport for our, our son. And so I went over to where we keep all of our important documents and grabbed out the birth certificate, uh, Lou's birth certificate, and I grabbed out the social security card and I left it on the table. And within a matter of minutes, Tommy had colored on the birth certificate. But I was thinking, no big deal, I'm sure they'll take it, it's just a little color. So we had to have an appointment to get the passport application for our son, so we went down to the Apple Valley Courthouse and they took one look at the, or the um, birth certificate and they were like, so that's actually considered damaged, so we can't use that. But unfortunately, it would be a conflict of interest if where we do passport applications, we would also print birth certificates, so we don't do that here. So you're gonna have to go to Rosemount, and you're gonna have to wait in line there, get his birth certificate, purchase a new one, come back to the Apple Valley Courthouse, make a new appointment, and then we can help you. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because not only did I have to be there, Lou had to be there, Stephen had to be there, which meant our whole family <laughs> was in on this passport experience. And so, but it got me to thinking like, man, we've had this important document for nine years. And I leave it out for one moment and it got destroyed. So this past week, I was reading my Bible and I've been reading the book of Isaiah for probably about a year now really trying to understand it, and I feel like I don't understand it any better <laughs> than I did before, but I came across a passage of scripture that says that the word of the Lord endures, and then I thought about that passport, 
how I had that passport for just nine, or not the passport, the birth certificate, and how I had that birth certificate for just nine years. And in a moment, it was destroyed. I think so often we forget about the miracle that the word of the, God, of the word of the Lord is. So often we're quick to forget that it has endured. But not only has it endured, because I'm sure back in the time that the original manuscripts were written on papyrus, I'm sure they had toddlers, right? People had toddlers back then? I'm sure that they tried to color on the original manuscripts with quills or whatever they used to write, write it on. And they had no way of preserving it. Like, we have fireproof safes. We have waterproof safes. We keep ours high up in the closet so no one can get to it. Yet, the original document was written in a time where they didn't have a way of preserving it. Now, of course, they would learn it and have to, you know, uh, recite it and memorize it and then rewrite it down for the next generations. But again, how quickly we forget what a blessing it is that we get to open this. But not only that. Did you know that political leaders, kings, and priests have all tried to stop the word of the Lord from advancing? There are places around the world today that the Bible isn't legal, and yet again, we take it for granted. There's been times in history where only certain people were allowed to interpret the word of God, yet we get it at our hands. Not only that, but studies show that Americans have multiple copies of the Bible in their house, and I wonder how often we just let it collect dust. I wonder how often we take it for granted. So today, my challenge for you would be to remember not to take it for granted, but to realize that not only is the word of God enduring, but it's alive and it's active and it's changing hearts today. That we are blessed because of it. So that's all I have for today. So we'll see you next week. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But that could be kind of nice depending on who's preaching. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But today we're actually going to continue on with our study in the Psalms. So uh, for the summer, we've been looking at different passages of Psalms and uh, different pastors on staff have come up and been able to preach to you guys. Um, But kind of as we before we go any further, I always am a context person. So I want to give you just a brief little overview of kind of what we've been studying and what we know about the book of Psalms. So it is Psalms is a collection of poetry. And it is also written by many different authors. Throughout each chapter in the Psalms, we will see many different themes. We might see a theme of lament. We might see a theme of wisdom, a theme of trust, royalty. We see messianic themes, which points to the coming of Christ. And we also see themes about God as our king. Now, this just scratches the surface on the themes that we might read or encounter in in the book of Psalms. Within each chapter, we also see instructions for Christian living, how to live this life as a Christ follower. We see how to address God in times of trouble, in times of pain, in times of depression, in times of sorrow. And we also see how to live a life worthy of praise. My study Bible, which if you don't have a study Bible, I would really, really, really encourage you to get one. Uh, In study Bibles, they have, like, before you were to open up the book of Psalms and start reading, it would give you some background information, which is always very helpful to kind of further understand what you are reading. So in a study Bible, it'll say, like, who wrote the book of Psalms. It will give you information on who the book was written to, what the purpose of the book is, uh, maybe the, the 
basic like geographical location of where the author was believed to have written it. And all those are really important things to help us further understand what we were reading. And then also commentary is provided a lot of times in good study Bibles as well, which is one of my favorite things. But this is what my study Bible says about the book of Psalms. It says, the book of Psalms has been a hymn book, which remember Pastor Christie and, and Stephen had touched on this a couple weeks ago as well, that the Psalms are written not only as poetry, but also to be sung and accompanied by instruments. So it's been written, uh, has been a hymn book and a prayer book for countless generations of Jews and Christians over centuries. It contains the entire range of human emotion from the highest points of praise and joy and thanksgiving to the lowest points of depression and loss and everything in between. Now, if you have ever read any of the Psalms, you will know that that is true. Because in one, uh, uh, one verse, you will see just high praise, right? You'll see the highest cries of praise. And then in the next verse, right below it, it'll be like the deepest depressing thing. <laughs> and then back to the high cries of praise. But I really think that's what makes the psalm so relatable to us as humans. Because we too, like the authors of the book of Psalms, whether it's King David or Sons of Korah, Asaph, Solomon, Moses, or so on, we too, as humans, have experienced this wide range of emotions. And if you're anything like me, or anything like the authors of the book of Psalms, this can happen within moments of each other. One other thing that's really interesting to me to note about the book of Psalms is it's actually written from a human perspective about God instead of God's words to humans, like much of the Old Testament was written. So this, again, to me makes it very relatable because I can understand, even just a little bit, some of the author's questions about God some of their concerns about the things that they're going through, concerns that they have about God, or their feelings about the things that they are walking through. So today I'm going to share with you my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 139. And it has been a favorite of mine ever since I was probably about 13 years old. And I think as we read it together, you will see why I love it so much. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there now. Now, I gave you a little bit of context of the Psalms as, an, as a whole. Well, now I'm going to give you a little bit just on this specific chapter. So the overall theme in this specific chapter, 139, that we see will be praise. Theologians believe that this psalm was written by King David, perhaps written as a prayer when King David was anointed the king of Israel. And I love imagining that because at this point, David is probably around 30 years old, and for a 30-year-old, he's actually walked through quite a bit in his lifetime already. He has uh, been a shepherd boy. We know he was overlooked by society. But not only was he overlooked by society, he was really overlooked by his family and his dad and his brothers. He had slayed a giant, which few had the faith that he could even do. We know that he was a musician to King Saul. And then Saul decides he wants to kill David, and David goes into hiding and hides in caves from Saul. So that's a lot to endure by the age of 30, right? Like how many of us have ever been a fugitive? Probably no one in here. <laughs> but that kind of brings us to where we are now with David. 
being anointed as King David when this psalm was believed to have been written. And I love imagining that because this psalm was really written from a perspective of a man who had no business being a king. He had no business being a king, yet God chose him in his perfect time, through his perfect will, to be king and write a lot of the psalms that still speak to us today. So today we're going to read uh, 139 verses 1 through 18 together, and then we're going to break it down for greater understanding. So we're going to start. should be on the screen. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I were to go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I am still with you. So before we dig into this verse, kind of in an expository fashion, which really means breaking it down line by line, let's just take a moment and open up in a word of prayer. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has endured the test of time, that it has endured weather and elements and toddlers and uh, political leaders and kings and priests, and, and it is alive and it is active and it is speaking to us today. So I pray today that your Holy Spirit would speak to each person in this room through this psalm, that you would just remind them of how much you love them, of how much you are for them, and the plans that you have for their lives. I pray as I speak, I would get out of the way, Lord, and you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So one thing to note before we go on and break it down, it's really, really important to know that this is a very theological passage of Scripture. So we're going to go over some big words and their definitions together. So you can go, oh, there it is, the slide. Okay, so we're going to go over these five words, which are really important characteristics of God, really foundational to our faith. The first word there is omniscience, which means that God is all-knowing. Now, I remember it's omniscience. I had to memorize all these for a test, and I remember it was omniscience because of the word science in it. And I imagined, like, okay, if God were 
a scientist, which I suppose maybe he is, <laughs> um, he would be the greatest scientist. So that's how I remember that. God is all-knowing. Scientists, they're pretty all-knowing. Uh, second one, omnipresent. God is everywhere at the same time. This one is easy for me to memorize because of the word present in it. So God is present. Number three, omnipotent. God is powerful. The word potent there helps me remember when something is potent, it's powerful. So God is all-powerful. Number four, imminence. God's ability to be known. I remember imminence and intimacy. God's ability to be known. And then transcendence. God surpasses human ability. I just remember that simply because God transcends us. So, yes, this is probably like, oh no, where is she going with this passage of scripture? But it's really important to note that these are really, really, really foundational truths to our walk as Christians. And uh, Paul, or, um, Paul, David has a really beautiful way of taking these big theological truths and making them incredibly personal to himself. So don't worry, it's going to be okay. I know those are big words, but we can do it. So let's start breaking this psalm down. Uh, so today we're going to break it down into kind of uh, six verse stanzas. So if you have the NIV Bible, it kind of, like just a little bit, you can see almost a little paragraph break between each six verses. So we're going to look at the th uh, three six verses today, and we're going to start with that first one, starting in verse one. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Other translations of this verse says that you have you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Now, when I read the word examined, I kept getting this picture in my head of a doctor giving a patient a thorough examination. So a couple of weeks ago, I was due for my yearly checkup, and the doctor had given me a very thorough examination, right? The doctor had ordered specific blood tests to be done, uh, other tests to be done, based all based off of my health history, and my age. Then she walked me through my mental health. She walked me through my dental health. She walked me through my lack of exercise routine. She talked me through my diet. And then she looked me over from head to toe. Now, when I completed this thorough examination, I actually had a sense of peace and security, knowing that the doctor had done her job. And after the examination, after the blood work and the test came back, I was given a clean bill of health, and I found security in that because of her comprehensive work. In the same way, as Christians, we should find peace and we should find security in being completely known or carefully examined by our God. Verse 2 says, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So in this passage of scripture, we see that God knows our daily routines, our habits, and our activities. So there is nothing too monotonous when it comes to God knowing and loving his children. So Stephen, if he would go to work, my husband, 
and come home. And then me, I like to tell all the things. So Stephen could come home from work, and I'd be like, so at 6.30, we woke up, and then we had pancakes for breakfast. And then after we had pancakes for breakfast, Rachel had a little temper tantrum, so she sat in her room for 20 minutes. And then after the temper tantrum, then Tommy colored on something again. And then after that, he escaped the house again. And, like, you can just see Stephen's eyes, like, why are you telling me all of this? Sure, he probably just wants the spark notes of my day instead of the detailed story that I have to tell him. But God delights in all of it. He delights in all the details of our days. And this is not because he's a nosy God, but it's because he's a really loving and attentive father. The verse goes on to say that he knows our words before we even speak. Now, this reveals to us that not only does God know our physical state, so the things that we're doing, but he knows our emotional state as well. So he knows what we're thinking. He knows our words before we even say them. And this is where we really begin to see that God is omniscience. omniscient, which, which means no. All-knowing. Good job. <laughs> God's all right, going on. It says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. I did not realize how beautiful this specific passage was. Other translations say that you hedged me in behind and before. In both instances, being uh, hemmed in or being hedged in, this shows us security, that God provides us security. When something, when a garment is hemmed in, it means that the garment is secure and it won't unravel. So if you look at my jeans, I have jeans with no hem. What is the garment doing? It's fraying and unraveling. If you look at your jeans or your pants and you have a nice hem at the bottom, the purpose of that is so it doesn't do what my jeans are doing. It doesn't unravel. That's creating security for the garment. When something is hedged in, especially in a, in a biblical sense, that means a protective barrier is being placed around something to keep it safe. That is what God does out of his love and his care for David. He protects David, which means he also protects us. The sentence ends with, you lay your hand upon me. Now, this simply means that God's hand of blessing and grace were upon David. This is not a hand of oppression. This is not a hand of anger. This is not a hand of hate. But it is a hand of blessing, a hand of love, and a care of an attentive father. And then lastly, to close out this first uh, stanza here, it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So here we see David is overwhelmed, and not overwhelmed in a bad way, but he is overwhelmed with how known he is by God, and he cannot fathom that this big creator God who created all things knows him better than he knows himself. So we see in the first six verses of Psalm 139 that the overall theme here is the omniscience of God, which again means all-knowing. We also see his transcendence and his imminence here as well. Again, David helps us to understand that this really big, all-knowing God who created all things cares about him personally, which means 
that God cares about us personally. So we can rest assured that just like God knew all the details about David, he knows all the details about you. God has examined you. He knows all the details of your day. He protects you and he guards you just as he did for David. And his hand of blessing and not condemnation is upon you. Moving on to the second stanza, the next set of six verses. We're going to start in verse 7 where it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David opens up this section with a rhetorical question about where he could go, where David could go that God could not follow. And the answer to this question is nowhere, which we see David answers in the following verses. It says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. Now remember, that's that same hand of blessing, not condemnation. But this is really a profound statement about the omnipresence of God, which means God is everywhere, yes. The reason that this is so profound is because in Old Testament times, the people didn't really have an understanding of God's presence being everywhere. Generally, when they would go to experience God, they would have to go somewhere. So they would have to leave where they were and go somewhere, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple or going where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's how they would experience the presence of God. If they wanted God to speak to them, they would have to have a, find a prophet and have that prophet speak on behalf of God into their lives. But here we see the Holy Spirit so kindly reveals to David that God is, in fact, everywhere. This would have been revolutionary because not only is God everywhere, but he's everywhere with David. This would have been just incredible for these people reading this psalm to learn. Here David is saying that there isn't a corner of the universe that is uninhabited by God. There isn't one small area where God's presence can't go. But not only that, David is saying, wherever I go, God goes too. So the verse says, if David goes up to heaven, God is there. If David were to make his bed in hell, God's presence would be there. And if David even chooses to run as fast and as far away as he could from God, God's presence is with him. Just as God is with David in all places, God is with us in all places at all times. Continuing on, verse 11 says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So here we see that physical darkness, emotional darkness, spiritual darkness, moral darkness, or any other type of darkness that David may have faced, God, because he is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, God was able to infuse his light into those situations. Now, we know that the Bible was uh, handed down generation after generation after generation. So David knew of the story of how the Israelites had escaped 
the Egyptians and were in ex- as they were in exile, as they were leaving. And David surely knew the story that, you know, they had to travel by night. And the Bible says that God provided a pillar of fire to them to light their way as they walked through the darkness. So David knew that this was not only a thing that he has experienced, but it has been experienced by people that have gone before him. And David has also experienced God infusing his light into the situations that he was facing as well, whether that was hiding in a cave from King Saul or defeating a giant or becoming king. God had taken his light and infused them into dark situations or hopeless situations. So we can rest assured that God does the same for us. He will infuse his light into dark situations that we might be walking through as well. It might just not look how you want it to look. In verses 7 through 12, we see that the overall theme here is the omnipresence of God. Again, that means that God is everywhere. So not only is God everywhere, but he is everywhere with David wherever David chooses to go, which means God is present with us wherever we choose to go. And just like David could not flee from God's presence, we too cannot flee from God's presence or hide from his spirit. So if we are in a spot where we feel like we're making pretty good choices, God is with us. If we're in a place of hitting rock bottom, God is with us. And even if we try and run as fast and as far away from God as we possibly could, God is running with us. His love and his kind and his gracious hand is guiding us through all places, without any sort of condemnation. And the last six verses that we're going to look at today are my favorite in this passage. So we're going to look at 13 through 18 together, starting with verse 13. It says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now this has always been one of my most favorite passages in the entire Bible. As a teenager, I remember as I was reading this, I got this picture in my head of God as like this old man sitting in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth, knitting me together. And I know that that sounds like a really odd picture and definitely not theologically sound, but it was really helpful for me. I pictured him sitting there, rocking back and forth, knitting me together with the instruction manual, which he created or wrote, on how he wanted to form me. So everything was written in this manual the way he wanted me to look. My attributes, my attitudes, the silly things about me that nobody knows, my brain, how he wanted my brain to function. This was all written down in this instructional book. Because if you've ever tried to knit anything, you know you can't just blindly go knit a sweater, right? You have to follow the instructions. So here was God in my mind. <laughs> Again, not definitely, definitely not theologically sound, but in my mind as a teenager, I pictured God rocking back and forth, fashioning me together, just how he wanted me to be made. And he did this from the moment I was in my mother's womb. I love that imagery that God had given me. But in this passage of scripture, we see that the Lord reveals to David that he is the one, that God was the one who skillfully and carefully and thoughtfully and lovingly crafted David. It goes on to say, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I have a question for you. 
was the last time that you praised God for the way that he made you? Because I think we're all really quick to point out, well, I don't like this about myself, and this I wish I could change. But it's just how God wanted you. You're created just how he wanted you. And another thing that's interesting to note about this little verse here is that at the time this was written, David really didn't have an understanding of biology and science. Yeah, sure, he knew the basic functions of the body, but he didn't realize the miracle that our bodies are, right? He didn't know that the body heals itself in the way that it does that. In fact, even in the last 20 years, they've called that the, well, I don't know what the 20 years are, it's more than a decade, whatever, the time of the brain. So, because we have learned so much just in the past 20 years about the brain because of science and technology. But here we see David knew enough to know that God was to be praised for the way that he was created. Picking back up in verse 15, it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written, written in your book before one of them came to be. So here we see that David knows or that David knew what man, could, what man could not see, God could see perfectly. So not only did God keep a record of David after he was born, but he had an entire book on David's, on David's life before he ever lived one day. Again, being known like this should give us such peace and comfort and security. And the last two verses that we're going to look at today end out this portion of Scripture. Uh, it's verses 17 and 18. And it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, I am still with you. So the root word here for precious, where it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. The root word there is actually weighty. So if we were to get out a scale and weigh God's thoughts about David, it would essentially weigh down the scale. It would crush the scales. God's thoughts about David here are not any sort of negative thoughts. In fact, they're all about care and love and compassion and teaching and careful correction and grace and many, many more good thoughts. David knew that he was known and that he was thought about by God. As I was studying that portion of scripture, I came across a beautiful quote that I'm going to share with you by Charles Spurgeon, who wrote this commentary about that specific verse. It says, You know that people are very proud if a king has merely looked at them. I have heard of a man who used to boast all his life that King George IV, such a beauty he was, once spoke to him. He only said, Get out of the road but it was a king who said it. So the man felt greatly gratified thereby. But you and I, beloved, can rejoice that God, before whom kings are grasshoppers, actually thinks of us and thinks of us often. What a beautiful quote. I love that quote. Because if we're all really, really honest with ourselves, we all have this deep, innate desire to be known, right? 
And then when we get acknowledged by someone that we admire or someone of stature or someone who has wealth or fame or even if you're a middle schooler or high schooler and you get acknowledged by someone you might have a crush on, we all kind of puff up our chest a little bit, don't we? It makes us feel really good when we get noticed. But how often do we forget that the king of all kings and the lord of all lords and the creator of all things could tip the scales and crush them with his thoughts about his children. I think we forget that a lot. So as we close today, I just want to take a moment and just close our eyes. And I just have a question for you. I want you to think to yourself. Do I understand, even just a little bit, the love that God has for me? Or have I put him off as a far and an angry God? Because my prayer going into this is that each person in this room would feel empowered and chosen and cared for and known by God. And that each one of you would have an understanding, like David did, that God loved him so much. And that you all here today would know that there's no place that you can run from God, from God, that he is with you. He's with you in the high moments and he's with you in the difficult moments and with you in all the times between. And that God could tip the scales. He could crush the scales with his thoughts about you. So if you have felt like God is nothing but an angry or a cold or a rule-demanding God, I just want to take a moment and pray specifically for you. Lord, I pray for all those in the room that might say, yeah, I feel like you have been a far away God. I pray for those that feel like maybe you're uninterested in their lives. I pray right now through this psalm that you would begin, that the, the people here would begin to see that you are actively caring about them and for them. And that they would see that there's not anywhere that they could go where you don't follow. I pray that they would feel chosen and created for a purpose. And that you would begin to reveal the deep love and devotion that you have towards them. I ask that you would heal any hurts that they might have in their heart that have caused them to feel like you are a distant or a cold or a far off God. And Lord, I pray for those of us in the room today that might say we do feel close to you. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to ignite a passion for us to continue to grow and to continue to serve you. And I pray that you would use your word, just as it has generation after generation after generation, to speak to us. And I thank you for the gift of your word. What a miracle. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted and that you'd give us all a, a deep desire to read it and to study it and to understand it more and more. So, Lord, I ask that you would bless each person in this room. Remind them of your love and your care and your attention toward them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for letting me share today. If you need prayer for anything, we will have prayer teams come forward. If not, we will see you next week. Thank you.